Section 23 of the Epidemics of the Middle Ages by Eustace Hecke. Translated by Benjamin Guy Babington. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Dancing Mania, Appendix 5. From an account of convulsive diseases in Scotland, etc. In the third volume of the Edinburgh Medical and Surgical Journal, page 434, there is an account of some convulsive diseases in certain parts of Scotland, which is taken from Sir J. Sinclair's statistical account, and from which I have thought it illustrative of our author's subject to make some extracts. The first that is noticed is peculiar to a part of Forfarshire, and is called the Leaping Egg, which bears so close an analogy to the original St. Vitus's dance, or to Tarantism, that it seems to want only the foul fiend, or the dreaded bite, as a cause, and a scotch reel, or strath prey, as a cure, to render the resemblance quite complete. Quote, Those affected with it first complain of a pain in the head, or lower part of the back, to which succeed convulsive fits, or fits of dancing at certain periods. During the paroxysm they have all the appearance of madness, distorting their bodies in various ways, and leaping and springing in a surprising manner, whence the disease has derived its vulgar name. Sometimes they run with astonishing velocity, and often over dangerous passes, to some place out of doors which they have fixed on in their own minds, or perhaps even mentioned to those in company with them, and then drop down quite exhausted. At other times, especially when confined to the house, they climb in the most singular manner. In cottages, for example, they leap from the floor to what is called the balks, or those beams by which the rafters are joined together, springing from one to another with the agility of a cat, or whirling round one of them with a motion resembling the fly of a jack. Cold bathing is found to be the most effectual remedy. But when the fit of dancing, leaping, or running comes on, nothing tends so much to abate the violence of the disease as allowing them free scope to exercise themselves till nature be exhausted. No mention is made of its being peculiar to any age, sex, or condition of life, although I am informed by a gentleman from Vrishin that it is most common before puberty. In some families it seems to be hereditary and I have heard of one in which a horse was always kept ready saddled to follow the young ladies belonging to it when they were seized with a fit of running. It was first observed in the parish of Canmer, and has prevailed occasionally in that and the neighboring parishes for about seventy years. But it is not now nearly so frequent as it was about thirty years ago. The history of this singular affection is still extremely imperfect, and it is only from some of the medical practitioners in that part of the country where it prevails that a complete description can be expected. End quote. Our author has already noticed the convulsive disease prevalent in the Shetland Islands, and has quoted Hibbert's account of it. The following, however, from a very valuable manuscript account of the Orkney and Shetland Islands, drawn up about 1774 by George Lowe, with notes by Mr. Pennant, is given in the journal already cited, and will be read with interest. 
The facts were communicated to Mr. Lowe by the Reverend William Archibald, parochial clergyman of Unst, the most northerly of the Shetlands. Quote, there is a most shocking distemper which has of late years prevailed very much, especially among young women, and was hardly known thirty or forty years ago. About that period only one person was subject to it. The inhabitants give it the name of convulsion fits, and indeed in appearance it something resembles epilepsy. In its first rise it began with the palpitation of the heart, of which they complained for a considerable time. It at length produced swooning fits, in which people seized with it would lie motionless upwards of an hour. At length, as the distemper gathered strength, when any violent passion seized, or on a sudden surprise, they would all at once fall down, toss their arms about with their bodies into many odd shapes, crying all the while most dismally, throwing their heads about from side to side, with their eyes fixed and staring. At first this distemper obtained in a private way with one female, but she being seized in a public way at church, the disease was communicated to others, but whether by the influence of fear or sympathy is not easy to determine. However this was, our public assemblies, especially at church, became greatly disturbed by their outcries. This distemper always prevails most violently during the summer time, in which season for many years we are hardly one Sabbath free. In these few years past it has not prevailed so extensively, and upon the whole seems on the decline. One thing remarkable in this distemper is that as soon as the fit is over, the persons affected with it are generally as lively and brisk as before. And if it happens at any of their public diversions, as soon as they revive, they mix with their companions and continue their amusements as vigorously as if nothing had happened. Few men are troubled with this distemper, which seems more confined to women. But there are instances of it seizing men and girls of six years of age. With respect to the nature of this disease, people who have made inquiry about it differ, but most imagine it hysterical. However, this seems not entirely the case, as men and children are subject to it. However, it is a new disease in Shetland, but whence imported none can imagine. When the statistical account of this parish was published, this awful and afflicting disease was becoming daily less common. In the parishes of Eighthsting, Sandsting, and North Maven, in which it was once very frequent, it was now totally extinct. In the last of these, the cure is said to have been effected by a very singular remedy, which, if true, and there seems to be no reason to doubt it, shows the influence of moral causes in removing as well as in inducing convulsive disorders. The cure is attributed to a rough fellow of a Kirk officer, who tossed a woman in that state, with whom he had been frequently troubled, into a ditch of water. She was never known to have the disease afterwards, and others dreaded the same treatment. It, however, still prevails in some of the northern parishes, particularly in Delting, although according to the description given of it, with some alteration in its symptoms. 
Convulsion fits of a very extraordinary kind seem peculiar to this country. The patient is first seized with something like fainting, and immediately after utters wild cries and shrieks, the sound of which, at whatever distance, immediately puts all who are subject to the disorder in the same situation. It most commonly attacks them when the church is crowded, and often interrupts the service in this and many other churches in the country. On a sacramental occasion, fifty or sixty are sometimes carried out of the church and laid in the churchyard, where they struggle and roar with all their strength for five or ten minutes, and then rise up without recollecting a single circumstance that happened to them, or being in the least hurt or fatigued with the violent exertions they had made during the fit. One observation occurs on this disorder, that during the late scarce years it was very uncommon, and during the last two years of plenty, 1791, it has appeared more frequently. Similar instances of epidemical convulsions are already upon record, but the history of that which occurred in Anglesea, North Wales, is the most remarkable, and its progress was, in all probability, checked by the judicious precautions recommended by Dr. Haygarth. In 1796, on the estates of the Earl of Uxbridge and Holland Griffith Esquire, twenty-three females, from ten to twenty-five, and one boy about seventeen years of age, who had all intercourse with each other, were seized with an unusual kind of convulsions, affecting only the upper extremities. It began with pain of the head, and sometimes of the stomach and side, not very violent, after which they came on violent twitchings or convulsions of the upper extremities, continuing with little intermission and causing the shoulders almost to meet by the exertion. In bed the disorder was not so violent, but in some cases at least it continued even during sleep. Their pulse was moderate, the body costive, and the general health not much impaired. In general they had a hiccough, and when the convulsions were most violent, giddiness came on with the loss of hearing and recollection. During their convalescence, and they all recovered, the least fright or sudden alarm brought on a slight paroxysm. Dr. Haygarth, who was consulted on the means of relieving these unfortunate people, successfully recommended the use of antispasmodics, that all girls and young women should be prevented from having any communication with persons affected with those convulsions, and that those who were ill should be kept separate as much as possible. End quote. The same paper from which the above extracts have been taken quotes a remarkable instance in which religious enthusiasm was the exciting cause of a convulsive disease analogous to those already noticed. The account is given by the Reverend Dr. Make at great length. It appears that in January 1742, about ninety persons in the parish of Camboslang in Lanarkshire were induced to subscribe a petition to the minister urging him to give them a weekly lecture, to which he readily assented. Nothing particular occurred at the first two lectures, but at the third, to which the hearers had been very attentive, when the minister in his last prayer expressed himself thus, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? 
Where are the fruits of my poor labors among this people? Several persons in the congregation cried out publicly, and about fifty men and women came to the minister's house expressing strong convictions of sin and alarming fears of punishment. After this period, so many people from the neighborhood resorted to Campus Lang that the minister thought himself obliged to provide them with daily sermons or exhortations, and actually did so for seven or eight months. The way in which the converts were affected, for it seems they were affected much in the same way, though in very different degrees, is thus described. Quote, they were seized all at once, commonly by something said in the sermons or prayers, with the most dreadful apprehensions concerning the state of their souls, insomuch as many of them could not abstain from crying out in the most public and frightful manner, bewailing their lost and undone condition by nature, calling themselves enemies to God and despisers of precious Christ, declaring that they were unworthy to live on the face of the earth, that they saw the mouth of hell open to receive them, and that they heard the shrieks of the damned. But the universal cry was, What shall we do to be saved? The agony under which they labored was expressed not only by words, but also by violent agitations of the body, by clapping their hands and beating their breasts, by shaking and trembling, by faintings and convulsions, and sometimes by excessive bleeding at the nose. While they were in this distress, the minister often called out to them, not to stifle or smother their convictions, but to encourage them, and after sermon was ended, he retired with them to the manse, and frequently spent the best part of the night with them in exhortations and prayers. Next day, before the sermon began, they were brought out, and having napkins tied round their heads, were placed altogether on seats before the tents, where they remained sobbing, weeping, and often crying aloud, till the service was over. Some of those who fell under conviction were never converted, but most of those who fell under it were converted in a few days, and sometimes in a few hours. In most cases their conversion was as sudden and unexpected as their conviction. They were raised all at once from the lowest depth of sorrow and distress to the highest pitch of joy and happiness, crying out with triumph and exultation that they had overcome the wicked one, that they had gotten hold of Christ and would never let him go, that the black cloud which had hitherto concealed him from their view was now dispelled, and that they saw him with a pen in his hand blotting out their sins. Under these delightful impressions, some began to pray and exhort publicly, and others desired the congregation to join with them in singing a particular psalm, which they said God had commanded them to sing. From the time of their conviction to their conversion, many had no appetite for food or inclination to sleep, and all complained of their sufferings during that interval. End quote. The following account, which closes the paper whence the above quotations have been extracted, is taken from the inaugural essay on Korea Sancti Viti, by Felix Robertson of Tennessee, Octavo, Philadelphia, 1805. Quote, the Korea, which is more particularly the subject of this dissertation, made its appearance during the summer of 1803 in the neighborhood of Maryville, Tennessee, 
in the form of an epidemic. Previously to entering on its history, I think it necessary to premise a few cursory remarks on the mode of life of those amongst whom it originated for some time before the appearance of the disease. I suppose there are but few individuals in the United States who have not at least heard of the unparalleled blaze of enthusiastic religion which burst forth in the Western country about the year 1800 but it is perhaps impossible to have a competent idea of its effects without personal observation. This religious enthusiasm traveled like electricity with astonishing velocity, and was felt almost instantaneously in every part of the states of Tennessee and Kentucky. It often proved so powerful a stimulus that every other entirely lost its effect or was but feebly felt. Hence that general neglect of earthly things which was observed, and the almost perpetual attendance at places of public worship. Their churches are, in general, small and every way uncomfortable. The concourse of people on days of worship, particularly of extraordinary meetings, was very numerous, and hundreds who lived at too great a distance to return home every evening came supplied with provisions, tents, etc., for their sustenance and accommodation during the continuance of the meeting, which commonly lasted from three to five days. They, as well as many others, remained on the spot day and night, the whole or greater part of this time, worshipping their Maker almost incessantly. The outward expressions of their worship consisted chiefly in alternate crying, laughing, singing, and shouting, and at the same time performing that variety of gesticulation which the muscular system is capable of producing. It was under these circumstances that some found themselves unable, by voluntary efforts, to suppress the contraction of their muscles, and to their own astonishment and the diversion of many of the spectators, they continued to act from necessity the curious character which they had commenced from choice. The disease no sooner appeared than it spread with rapidity through the medium of the principle of imitation. Thus it was not uncommon for an affected person to communicate it to the greater part of a crowd who from curiosity or other motives had collected around him. It is at this time in almost every part of Tennessee and Kentucky, and in various parts of Virginia, but is said not to be contagious or readily communicated as at its commencement. It attacks both sexes and every constitution, but evidently more readily those who are enthusiasts in religion, such as those above described, and females. Children of six years of age and adults of sixty have been known to have it, but a great majority of those affected are from fifteen to twenty-five. The muscles generally affected are those of the trunk, particularly of the neck, sometimes those of the superior extremities, but very rarely, if ever, those of the inferior. The contractions are sudden and violent, such as are denominated convulsive, being sometimes so powerful when in the muscles of the back that the patient is thrown on the ground, where for some time his motions more resemble those of a live fish when thrown on land than anything else to which I can compare them. This, however, does not often occur, and never, I believe, except at the commencement of the disease. The patients, in general, 
are capable of standing and walking, and many, after it has continued a short time, can attend to their business, provided it is not of a nature requiring much steadiness of body. They are incapable of conversing with any degree of satisfaction to themselves or company, being continually interrupted by those irregular contractions of their muscles, each causing a grunt or forcible expiration. But the organs of speech do not appear to be affected, nor has it the least influence on the mind. They have no command over their actions by any effort of volition, nor does their lying in bed prevent them, but they always cease during sleep. This disease has remissions and exacerbations, which, however, observe no regularity in their occurrence or duration. During the intermission, a paroxysm is often excited at the sight of a person affected, but more frequently by the common salute of shaking hands. The sensations of the patients in a paroxysm are generally agreeable, which the enthusiastic class often endeavor to express by laughing, shouting, dancing, etc. Fatigue is almost always complained of after violent paroxysms, and sometimes a general soreness is experienced. The heart and arteries appear to be no further affected by the disease than what arises from the exercise of the body, nor does any change take place in any of the secretions or excretions. It has not proved mortal in a single instance within my knowledge, but becomes lighter by degrees and finally disappears. In some cases, however, of long continuance, it is attended with some degree of melancholia, which seems to arise entirely from the patient's reflections and not directly from the disease. The state of the atmosphere has no influence over it, as it rages with equal violence in summer and in winter, in moist and in dry air. End quote. In the above examples, nervous disorders bearing a strong resemblance to those of the Middle Ages are shown to exist in an epidemic form both in Europe and America at the present time. But in these instances, some general cause of mental excitement, and none is more powerful than religious enthusiasm, seems to have been requisite for their propagation. Their appearance, however, in single cases, is occasionally independent of any such origin, which leads to a belief, not without support in the experiments of modern physiologists, that they occasionally proceed from physical causes, and that it is therefore not necessary to consider them in all cases as the offspring of a disordered imagination. A well-marked case of a disease approximating to the original dancing mania is related by Mr. Kinderwood in the seventh volume of the Medico-Chirurgical Transactions, page 237. The patient, a young married woman, is described to have suffered from headache and sickness, together with involuntary motions of the eyelids and most extraordinary contortions of the trunk and extremities for several days, when the more remarkable symptoms began to manifest themselves, which are thus recorded. Quote, February 26. Slight motions of the limbs came on in bed. She arose at nine o'clock, after which they increased, and became unusually severe. She was hurled from side to side of the couch chair upon which she sat for a considerable time without intermission. 
was sometimes instantaneously and forcibly thrown upon her feet when she jumped and stamped violently. She had headache, the eyelids were frequently affected, and she had often a sudden propensity to spring or leap upwards. The affection ceased about eleven o'clock in the forenoon, the patient being very much fatigued. But it returned about noon, and a third time in the afternoon, when she was impelled into every corner of the room, and began to strike the furniture and doors violently with the hand as she passed near them, the sound of which afforded her great satisfaction. The fourth attack was at night, was very violent, and ended with sickness and vomiting. She went to bed at half-past eleven. Her nights were invariably good. The last three attacks were more violent than the former ones, but they continued only half an hour each. February 27 The attack commenced in bed and was violent, but of short duration. When she arose about ten, she had a second attack, continuing an hour except an interval of five minutes. She now struck the furniture more violently and more repeatedly. Kneeling on one knee, with the hands upon the back, she often sprang up suddenly and struck the top of the room with the palm of the hand. To do this, she rose fifteen inches from the floor, so that the family were under the necessity of drawing all the nails and hooks from the ceiling. She frequently danced upon one leg, holding the other with the hand, and occasionally changing the legs. In the evening, the family observed the blows upon the furniture to be more continuous, and to assume the regular time and measure of a musical air. As a strain or series of strokes was concluded, she ended with a more violent stroke or a more violent spring or jump. Several of her friends also at this time noticed the regular measure of the strokes, and the greater regularity the disease was assuming. The motions being evidently affected, or in some measure modified, by the strokes upon the surrounding bodies. She chiefly struck a small slender door, the top of a chest of drawers, the clock, a table, or a wooden screen placed near the door. The affection ceased about nine o'clock, when the patient went to bed. February 28th. She arose very well at eight. At half-past nine, the motions recommenced. They were now of a more pleasant nature. The involuntary actions, instead of possessing their former irregularity and violence, being changed into a measured step over the room, connected with an air or series of strokes, and she beat upon the adjacent bodies as she passed them. In the commencement of the attack, the lips moved as if words were articulated, but no sound could be distinguished at this period. It was curious indeed to observe the patient at this time, moving round the room with all the vivacity of the country dance, or the graver step of the minuet, the arms frequently carried, not merely with ease, but with elegance. Occasionally all the steps were so directed as to place the foot constantly where the stone flags joined to form the floor, particularly when she looked downwards. When she looked upwards, there was an irresistible impulse to spring up to touch little spots or holes in the top of the ceiling. When she looked around, she had a similar propensity to dart the forefinger into little holes in the furniture, etc. 
One hole in the wooden screen received the point of the forefinger many hundred times, which was suddenly and involuntarily darted into it with an amazing rapidity and precision. There was one particular part of the wall to which she frequently danced, and there placing herself with the back to it stood two or three minutes. This by the family was called the measuring place. In the afternoon the motions returned, and proceeded much as in the morning. At this time a person present, surprised at the manner in which she beat upon the doors, etc., and thinking he recognized the air, without further ceremony began to sing the tune. The moment this struck her ears, she turned suddenly to the man, and dancing directly up to him, continued doing so till he was out of breath. The man now seized a short time. When commencing again, he continued till the attack stopped. The night before this, her father had mentioned his wish to procure a drum, associating this dance of his daughter with some ideas of music. The avidity with which she danced to the tune when sung as above stated confirmed this wish, and accordingly a drum and fife were procured in the evening. After two hours of rest, the motions again reappeared when the drum and fife began to play the air to which she had danced before, viz. the Protestant boys, a favorite popular air in this neighborhood. In whatever part of the room she happened to be, she immediately turned and danced up to the drum, and as close as possible to it, and there she danced till she missed the step, when the involuntary motions instantly ceased. The first time she missed the step in five minutes, but again rose and danced to the drum two minutes and a half by her father's watch, when, missing the step, the motions instantly ceased. She rose a third time, and missing the step in half a minute, the motions immediately ceased. After this, the drum and fife commenced as the involuntary actions were coming on, and before she rose from her seat. And four times they completely checked the progress of the attack, so that she did not rise upon the floor to dance. At this period the affection ceased for the evening. March 1st she arose very well at half-past seven. Upon my visit this morning, the circumstances of the preceding afternoon being stated, it appeared clear to me that the attacks had been shortened. Slow as I had seen the effects of medicine in the comparatively trifling disease of young females, I was very willing that the family should pursue the experiment whilst the medical means were continued. As I wished to see the effect of the instrument over the disease, I was sent for at noon, when I found her dancing to the drum, which she continued to do for half an hour without missing the step, owing to the slowness of the movement. As I sat counting the pulse, which I found to be one hundred and twenty, in the short intervals of an attack I noticed motions of the lips, previous to the commencement of the dance, and placing my ear near the mouth I distinguished a tune. After the attack of which this was the beginning, she informed me, in answer to my inquiry, that there always was a tune dwelling upon her mind, which at times becoming more pressing, irresistibly impelled her to commence the involuntary motions. The motions ceased at four o'clock. At half-past seven the motions commenced again when I was sent for. 
There were two drummers present, and an unbraced drum was beaten till the other was braced. She danced regularly to the unbraced drum, but the moment the other commenced she instantly ceased. As missing the time stopped the affections, I wished the measure to be changed during the dance, which stopped the attack. It also ceased upon increasing the rapidity of the beat, till she could no longer keep time. And it was truly surprising to see the rapidity and violence of the muscular exertion in order to keep time with the increasing movement of the instrument. Five times I saw her sit down the same evening, at the instant that she was unable to keep the measure. And in consequence of this, I desired the drummers to beat one continued roll, instead of a regular movement. She arose and danced five minutes when both drums beat a continued roll. The motions instantly stopped and the patient sat down. In a few minutes, the motions commencing again, she was suffered to dance five minutes when the drums again began to roll, the effect of which was instantaneous. The motion ceased and the patient sat down. In a few minutes, the same was repeated with the same effect. It appeared certain that the attacks could now be stopped in an instant, and I was desirous of arresting them entirely and breaking the chain of irregular associations which constituted the disease. As the motions at this period always commenced in the fingers and propagated themselves along the upper extremities to the trunk, I desired the drummers, when the patient arose to dance, to watch the commencement of the attack and roll the drums before she arose from the chair. Six times successively the patient was hindered from rising by attending to the commencement of the affection. And before leaving the house I desired the family to attend to the commencement of the attacks and use the drum early. March 2nd She arose at seven o'clock and the motions commenced at ten. She danced twice before the drummer was prepared after which she attempted to dance again four several times, but one roll of a well-braced drum hindered the patient from leaving her seat, after which the attacks did not recur. She was left weakly and fatigued by the disease, but with a good appetite. In the evening of this day an eruption appeared, particularly about the elbows, in diffused patches of a bright red color, which went off on the third day. End quote. Other cases might be adduced. See 23rd volume of the Edinburgh Medical and Surgical Journal, page 261, 31st volume of Ditto, page 299, 5th volume of the Medical Chirurgical Transactions, page 1 to 23, etc. But as there is none more striking than this, they would unnecessarily swell this number of the appendix which has already extended to an undue length. End of section 23